Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Yeah. Chapter 38. Stanley took hold of Zero's forearms and pulled him upright. Then he stooped down and let Zero fall over his right shoulder. He stood up lifting Zero's worn-out body off the ground. He left the shovel and sack of jars behind as he continued up the mountain. Zero's legs dangled in front of him. Stanley couldn't see his feet, which made it difficult to walk through a tangled patch of the weeds and vines. He concentrated on one step at a time, carefully raising and setting down each foot. He thought only about each step, and not the impossible task that lay before him. Higher and higher he climbed. His strength came from somewhere deep inside himself and also seemed to come from the outside as well. After focusing on Big Thumb for so long, it was as if the rock had absorbed his energy and now acted like a kind of giant magnet pulling him towards it. After a while, he became aware of a foul odor. At first he thought it came from Zero, but it seemed to be in the air, hanging heavy all around him. He also noticed that the ground wasn't as steep anymore. As the ground flattened, a huge stone precipice rose up ahead of him, just barely visible in the moonlight. It seemed to grow bigger with each step he took. It no longer resembled a thumb, and he knew he'd never be able to climb it. Around him, the smell became stronger. It was a bitter smell of despair. Even if he could somehow climb Big Thumb, he knew he wouldn't find water. How could there be water at the top of a giant rock? The weeds and bugs survived only by an occasional rainstorm, like the one he'd seen from camp. Still, he continued towards it. If nothing else, he wanted to at least reach the thumb. He never made it. His feet slipped out from under him. Zero's head knocked against the back of his shoulder as he fell and tumbled into a small muddy gully. As he lay face down the muddy ditch, he didn't know if he'd ever get up again. He didn't know if he'd even try. Had he come all this way to... He need water to make mud. He crawled along the gully in the direction that seemed the muddiest. The ground became gloppier. The mud splashed up as he slapped the ground. Using both hands, he dug a hole in the soggy soil. It was too dark to see but he thought he could fill a tiny pool of water at the bottom of his hole. He stuck his head in the hole and licked the dirt. He dug deeper, and as he did so, more water seemed to fill the hole. He couldn't see it, but he could feel it, first with his fingers, then with his tongue. He dug until he had a hole that was about as deep as his arm was long. There was enough water for him to scoop out with his hands and drop on Zero's face. Zero's eyes remained closed, but his tongue poked out between his lips, searching out the droplets. Stanley dragged Zero closer to the hole. He dug, then scooped some more water and let it pour out of his hands into Zero's mouth. As he continued to widen his hole, his hand came across a smooth, round object. It was too smooth and too round to be a rock. He wiped the dirt off it and realized it was an onion. He bit into it without peeling it. The hot, bitter juice burst into his mouth. 
He could feel it all the way up to his eyes. And when he swallowed, he felt the warmth move down his throat and into his stomach. He only ate half. He gave the other half to Zero. Here, eat this. What is it? Zero whispered. A hot fudge sundae. Chapter 39 Stanley awoke in a meadow, looking up at the giant rock tower. It was layered and streaked with different shades of red, burnt orange, brown, and tan. It must have been over a hundred feet tall. Stanley lay a while, just looking at it. He didn't have the strength to get up. It felt like the insides of his mouth and throat were coated with sand. And no wonder. When he rolled over, he saw the water hole. It was about two and a half feet deep and over three feet wide. At the bottom lay no more than two inches of very brown water. His hands and fingers were sore from digging, especially under his fingernails. He scooped some dirty water into his mouth, then switched it around, trying to filter it with his teeth. Zero moaned. Stanley started to say something to him, but no words came out of his mouth, and he had to try again. How you doing? It hurt to talk. Not good, Zero said quietly. With great effort, he rolled over, raised himself to his knees, and crawled to the water hole. He lowered his head to it and lapped up some water. Then he jerked back, clutched his knees to his chest, and rolled to his side. His body shook violently. Stanley thought about going back down the mountain to look for the shovel, so he could make the water hole deeper. Maybe that would give them cleaner water. They could use the jars as drinking glasses. But he didn't think he had the strength to go down, let alone make it back up again. And he didn't know where to look. He struggled to his feet. He was in a field of greenish-white flowers that seemed to extend all the way around Big Thumb. He took a deep breath, then walked the last 50 yards to the giant precipice and touched it. Tag. You're it. Then he walked back to Zero in the water hole. On the way, he picked one of the flowers. It actually wasn't one big flower, he discovered. But instead, each flower was really a cluster of tiny little flowers that formed a round ball. He brought it to his mouth, but had to spit it out. He could see part of the trail he had made the night before, when he carried Zero up the mountain. If he was going to head back down and look for the shovel, he realized, he should do it soon, while the trail was fresh. But he didn't want to leave Zero. He was afraid Zero might die while he was gone. Zero was still lying, doubled over on his side. I've got to tell you something, he said with a groan. Don't talk, said Stanley. Save your breath. No, listen, Zero insisted. Then he closed his eyes as his face twisted with pain. I'm listening, Stanley whispered. I took your shoes, Zero said. That's okay, Stanley said. Just rest. Zero closed his eyes, but then again he said, I didn't know about the shoes. What shoes? From the shelter. It took a moment for Stanley to comprehend. Clyde Livingston's shoes? I'm sorry, said Zero. Stanley stared at him. It was impossible. Zero was delirious. Zero's confession seemed to bring him some relief. The muscles in his face relaxed. As he drifted into sleep, Stanley softly sang him the song that had been in his family for generations. If only, if only the woodpecker size, the bark on the tree was just a little bit softer while the wolf waits below. Hungry and lonely, he cries to the moon. If only, if only. I remembered. Chapter 40 When Stanley found the onion the night before, he didn't question how it had come to be there. He ate it gratefully. 
But now, as he sat gazing at Big Thumb and the meadow full of flowers, he couldn't help but wonder about it. If there was one wild onion, there could be more. He intertwined his fingers and tried to rub out the pain. Then he bent down and dug up another flower, this time pulling up the entire plant, including the root. Onions! Hot, sweet, fresh onions! Sam called as Mary Lou pulled the cart down Main Street. Eight cent a dozen. It was a beautiful spring morning. The sky was painted pale blue and pink, the same color as the lake and the peach trees along its shore. Miss Gladys Tennyson was just wearing her nightgown and robe as she came running down the street after Sam. Miss Tennyson was normally a very proper lady, who never went out in public without dressing up in fine clothes and a hat. So it was quite surprising to the people of Green Lake to see her running past them. Sam! she shouted. Whoa, Mary Lou, said Sam, stopping his mule and cart. Good morning, Miss Tennyson, he said. How's little Becca doing? Gladys Tennyson was all smiles. I think she's going to be okay. The fever broke about an hour ago, thanks to you. I'm sure the good Lord and Doc Hawthorne deserve most of the credit. The good Lord, yes, agreed Miss Tennyson. But not Doc Hawthorne. That quack wanted to put leeches on her stomach. Leeches. My word. He said they would suck out the bad blood. Now you tell me. How would a leech know good blood from bad blood? I wouldn't know, said Sam. It was your onion tonic, said Miss Tennyson. That's what saved her. Other townspeople made their way to the cart. Good morning, Gladys, said Hattie Parker. Don't you look lovely this morning? Several people snickered. Good morning, Hattie, Miss Tennyson replied. Does your husband know you're parading around in your bedclothes? Hattie asked. There were more snickers. My husband knows exactly where I am and how I'm dressed. Thank you, said Miss Tennyson. We've both been up all night and half the morning with Rebecca. She almost died from stomach sickness. It seems she ate some bad meat. Hattie's face flushed. Her husband, Jim Parker, was the butcher. It made my husband and me sick as well, said Miss Tennyson. But it nearly killed Becca, what with her being so young. Sam saved her life. It wasn't me, said Sam. It was the onions. I'm glad Becca's all right, Hattie said contritely. I keep telling Jim he needs to wash his knives, said Mr. Pike, who owned the general store. Hattie Parker excused herself, then turned and quickly walked away. Tell Becca that when she fills up to it, come by the store for a piece of candy, said Mr. Pike. Thank you. I'll do that. Before returning home, Miss Tennyson bought a dozen onions from Sam. She gave him a dime and told him to keep the change. I don't take charity, Sam told her. But if you want to buy a few extra onions for Mary Lou, I'm sure she'll appreciate it. All right, then, said Miss Tennyson. Give me my change in onions. Sam gave Miss Tennyson an additional three onions, and she fed them one at a time to Mary Lou. She laughed as the old donkey ate them out of her hand. Stanley and Zero slept off and on for the next two days, ate onions, all they wanted, and splashed dirty water into their mouths. In the late afternoon, Big Thumb gave them shade. Stanley tried to make the hole deeper, but he really needed the shovel. His efforts just seemed to stir up the mud and make the water dirtier. Zero was sleeping. He was still very sick and weak, but the sleep and the onion seemed to be doing him some good. Stanley was no longer afraid that he would die soon. Still, he didn't want to go for the shovel while Zero was asleep. He didn't want him to wake up and think he had been deserted. He waited for Zero to open his eyes. I think I'll go look for the shovel, Stanley said. I'll wait here, Zero said feebly, as if he had any other choice. Stanley headed down the mountain. The sleep and the onions had done him a lot of good as well. He felt strong. It was fairly easy to follow the trail he had made two days earlier. There were a 
few places where he wasn't sure if he was going the right way, but it just took a little bit of searching before he found the trail again. He went quite a ways down the mountain, but still didn't find the shovel. He looked back up towards the top of the mountain. He must have walked right past it, he thought. There was no way he could have carried Zero all the way up from here. Still, he headed downward, just in case. He came to a bare spot between two large patches of weeds and sat down to rest. Now he had definitely gone too far, he decided. He was tired out from walking down the hill. It would have been impossible to have carried Zero up the hill from here, especially after walking all day with no food or water. The shovel must be buried in some weeds. Before starting back up, he took one last look around in all directions. He saw a large indentation in the weeds a little farther down the mountain. It didn't seem likely that the shovel could be there, but he had already come this far. There, lying in some tall weeds, he found the shovel and the sack of jars. He was amazed. He wondered if the shovel and sack might have rolled down the hill, but none of the jars were broken, except the one which had broken earlier. And if they had rolled down the hill, it's doubtful that he would have found the sack and shovel side by side. On his way back up the mountain, Stanley had to sit down and rest several times. It was a long, hard climb. Chapter 41 Zero's condition continued to improve. Stanley slowly peeled an onion. He liked eating them one layer at a time. The water hole was now almost as large as the holes he had dug back at Camp Green Lake. It contained almost two feet of murky water. Stanley had dug it all himself. Zero had offered to help, but Stanley thought it better for Zero to save his strength. It was a lot harder to dig in water than it was in a dry lake. Stanley was surprised that he himself hadn't gotten sick, either from the sploosh, the dirty water, or from living on onions. He used to get sick quite a lot back at home. Both boys were barefoot. They had washed their socks. All their clothes were very dirty, but their socks were definitely the worst. They didn't dip their socks into the hole, afraid to contaminate the water. Instead, they filled the jars and poured the water over their dirty socks. I didn't go to the homeless shelter very often, Zero said. Just if the weather was really bad. I'd have to find someone to pretend to be my mom. If I had just gone by myself, they would have asked me a bunch of questions. If they found out I didn't have a mom, they would have made me a ward of the state. What's a ward of the state? Zero smiled. I don't know, but I didn't like the sound of it. Stanley remembered Mr. Pendansky telling the warden that Zero was a ward of the state. He wondered if Zero knew he had become one. I liked sleeping outside, says Zero. I used to pretend I was a Cub Scout. I always wanted to be a Cub Scout. I'd see them at the park in their blue uniforms. I was never a Cub Scout, said Stanley. I wasn't good at social stuff like that. Kids made fun of me because I was fat. I like the blue uniform, said Zero. Maybe I wouldn't have liked being a Cub Scout. Stanley shrugged one shoulder. My mother was once a Girl Scout, said Zero. I thought you said you didn't have a mother. Everybody has to have a mother. Well, yeah, I know that. She said she once won a prize for selling the most Girl Scout cookies, said Zero. She was real proud of that. Stanley peeled off another layer of his onion. We always took what we needed, Zero said. When I was little, I didn't even know it was stealing. I don't remember when I found out. But we just took what we needed, never more. So when I saw the shoes on display in the shelter, I just reached in the glass case and took them. Clyde Livingston's shoes? asked Stanley. I didn't know they were his. I just thought they were somebody's old shoes. It was better to take someone's old shoes, I thought, 
than steal a pair of new ones. I didn't know they were famous. There was a sign, but of course I couldn't read it. Then, the next thing I know, everybody's making this big deal about how the shoes were missing. It was kind of funny in a way. The whole place is going crazy. There I was, wearing the shoes, and everyone's running around saying, What happened to the shoes? The shoes are gone. I just walked out the door. No one noticed me. When I got outside, I ran around the corner and immediately took off the shoes. I put them on top of a parked car. I remember they smelled really bad. Yep, those are them, says Stanley. Did they fit you? Pretty much. Stanley remembered being surprised at Clyde Livingston's small shoe size. Stanley's shoes were bigger. Clyde Livingston had small, quick feet. Stanley's feet were big and slow. I should have just kept them, said Zero. I had already made it out of the shelter and everything. I ended up getting arrested the next day when I tried to walk out of a shoe store with a new pair of sneakers. If I had just kept those old smelly sneakers, then neither of us would be here right now. Adults, I'm sure y'all already got this, but kids, I'm talking to you. Hey, this is this is Derek. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. Onions. <laughs> it just hit me, so I don't know if it hit you. Forgive me, I'm I'm old and it took me a long time for this to catch up with me. Onions. Stanley is peeling back. He likes eating the onions layer by layer. He's peeling back the layers of onions and just getting to what's underneath it every single time. And as he's eating the onion, peeling back the layers, we're finding out more about Zero's backstory and finding out how they actually came to be together. Onions. Chapter 42. Zero became strong enough to help dig the hole. When he finished, it was over six feet deep. He filled the bottom with rocks to help separate the water from the dirt. He was still the best hole digger around. That's the last hole I'll ever dig, he declared, throwing down the shovel. Stanley smiled. He wished it was true, but he knew they had no choice but to eventually return to Camp Green Lake. They couldn't live on onions forever. They had been completely around Big Thumb. It was like a giant sundial. They followed the shade. They were able to see out in all directions. There was no place to go. The mountain was surrounded by desert. Zero stared at Big Thumb. It must have a hole in it, he said. Filled with water. You think? Where else could the water be coming from? Zero asked. Water doesn't run uphill. Stanley bit into an onion. It didn't burn his eyes or nose, and in fact, he no longer noticed a particularly strong taste. He remembered when he had first carried Zero up the hill, how the air had smelled bitter. It was the smell of thousands of onions, growing and rotting and sprouting. Now, he didn't smell a thing. How many onions do you think we've eaten? He asked. Zero shrugged. I don't even know how long we've been here. I'd say about a week, said Stanley. And we probably each eat about 20 onions a day. So that's... 280 onions, said Zero. Stanley smiled. I bet we really stink. Two nights later, Stanley lay awake staring up at the star-filled sky. He was too happy to fall asleep. He knew he had no reason to be happy. He had heard or read somewhere that right before a person freezes to death, he suddenly feels nice and warm. He wondered if perhaps he was experiencing something like that. It occurred to him that he couldn't remember the last time he felt happiness. It wasn't just being sent to Camp Green Lake that had made his life miserable. Before that, he'd been unhappy at school, where he had no friends, and bullies like Derek Dunn picked on him. No one liked him, and the truth was, he didn't especially like himself. He liked himself now. He wondered if he was delirious. He looked over at Zero, sleeping near him. Zero's face was lit in the starlight. 
and there was a flower petal in front of his nose that moved back and forth as he breathed. It reminded Stanley of something out of a cartoon. Zero breathed in, and the petal was drawn up almost touching his nose. Zero breathed out, and the petal moved towards his chin. It stayed on Zero's face for an amazingly long time before fluttering off to the side. Stanley considered placing it back in front of Zero's nose, but it wouldn't be the same. It seemed like Zero had lived at Camp Green Lake forever. But as Stanley thought about it, he realized that Zero must have gotten there no more than a month or two before him. Zero was actually arrested a day later, but Stanley's trial kept getting delayed because of baseball. He remembered what Zero had said a few days before. If Zero had just kept those shoes, then neither of them would be here right now. As Stanley stared at the glittering night sky, he thought there was no place he would rather be. He was glad Zero had put the shoes on the parked car. He was glad they fell from the overpass and hit him on the head. When the shoes first fell from the sky, he remembered thinking that destiny had struck him. Now he thought so again. This was more than a coincidence. It had to be destiny. Maybe they wouldn't have to return to Camp Green Lake, he thought. Maybe they could make it past the camp, then follow the dirt road back to civilization. They could fill the sack with onions and the three jars with water. And he had his canteen as well. They could refill their jars and canteen at the camp. Maybe sneak into the kitchen to get some food. He doubted any counselors were still on guard. Everyone had to think they were dead. Buzzard food. It would mean living the rest of his life as a fugitive. The police would always be after him. At least he could call his parents and tell them he was still alive. But he couldn't go visit them. In case the police were watching the apartment. Although, if everyone thought he was dead, they wouldn't bother to watch the apartment. He would have to somehow get a new identity. Now I'm really thinking crazy, he thought. He wondered if a crazy person wonders if he's crazy. But even as he thought this, an even crazier idea kept popping into his head. He knew it was too crazy to even consider. Still, if he is going to be a fugitive for the rest of his life, it would help to have some money. Perhaps a treasure chest full of money. You're crazy, he told himself. Besides, just because he found a lipstick container with KB on it, that didn't mean there was treasure buried there. It was crazy. It was all part of his crazy feeling of happiness. Or maybe it was destiny. He reached over and shook Zero's arm. Hey, Zero, he whispered. Huh? Zero muttered. Zero, wake up. What? Zero raised up his head. What is it? You want to dig one more hole? Stanley asked him. Chapter 43 We weren't always homeless, Zero said. I remember a yellow room. How old were you when you, Stanley started to ask, but couldn't find the right words, moved out? I don't know. I must have been real little, because I don't remember too much. I don't remember moving out. I remember standing in a crib with my mother singing to me. She held my wrists and made my hands clap together. She used to sing that song to me. That one you sang. It was different, though. Zero spoke slowly, as if searching his brain for memories and clues. And then later, I know we lived on the street. But I don't know why we left the house. I'm pretty sure it was a house and not an apartment. I know my room was yellow. It was late afternoon. They were resting in the shadow of the thumb. They had spent the morning picking onions and putting them in the sack. It didn't take long, but long enough so that they had to wait another day before heading down the mountain. They wanted to leave at the first hint of daylight, so they had plenty of time to make it back to Camp Green Lake before dark. Stanley wanted to be sure he could find the right hole. Then, they would hide by it until everyone went to sleep. 
they would dig for as long as it seemed safe, and not a second longer. And then, treasure or no treasure, they'd head up the dirt road. If it was absolutely safe, they'd try to steal some food and water from the camp kitchen. I'm good at sneaking in and out of places, Zero had said. Remember, Stanley warned, the door to the rec room squeaks. Now he lay on his back, trying to save his strength for the long days ahead. He wondered what happened to Zero's parents, but he didn't ask. Zero didn't like answering questions. It was better to just let him talk when he felt like it. Stanley thought about his own parents. In his last letter, his mom was worried that they might be evicted from their apartment because of the smell of burning sneakers. They could easily become homeless as well. Again, he wondered if they had been told that he ran away from camp. Were they told that he was dead? An image appeared in his head of his parents hugging each other and crying. He tried not to think about it. Instead, he tried to recapture the feelings he had the night before. The inexplicable feeling of happiness. The sense of destiny. But those feelings didn't return. He just felt scared. The next morning, they headed down the mountain. They dunked their caps in the water hole before putting them on their heads. Zero held the shovel, and Stanley carried the sack, which was crammed with onions in the three jars of water. They left the pieces of the broken jar on the mountain. This is where I found the shovel, Stanley said, pointing out a patch of weeds. Zero turned and looked up towards the top of the mountain. That's a long way. You were light, Stanley said. You had already thrown up everything that was inside your stomach. He shifted the sack from one shoulder to the other. It was heavy. He stepped on a loose rock, slipped, and then fell hard. The next thing he knew, he was sliding down the steep side of the mountain. He dropped the sack, and onions spilled around him. He slid into a patch of weeds and grabbed onto a thorny vine. The vine ripped out of the earth, but slowed him enough that he was able to stop himself. Are you alright? Zero asked from above. Stanley groaned as he pulled a thorn out of the palm of his hand. Yeah, he said. He was alright. He was more worried about the jars of water. Zero climbed down after him, retrieving the sack along the way. Stanley pulled some thorns out of his pants legs. The jars hadn't broken. The onions had protected them, like styrofoam packing material. Glad you didn't do that when you were carrying me, Zero said. They lost about a third of the onions, but recovered many of them as they continued down the mountain. When they reached the bottom, the sun was just rising above the lake. They walked directly towards it. Soon, they stood on the edge of a cliff, looking down on the dry lake bed. Stanley wasn't sure, but he thought he could see the remains of the Mary Lou off in the distance. You thirsty? Stanley asked. No, said Zero. How about you? No, Stanley lied. He didn't want to be the first one to take a drink. Although they didn't mention it, it had become a kind of challenge between him and Zero. They climbed down into the frying pan. It was a different spot from where they had climbed up. They eased themselves down from one ledge to another and let themselves slide in other places, being especially careful with the sack. Stanley could no longer see the Mary Lou, but headed in what he thought was the right direction. As the sun rose, so did the familiar haze of heat and dirt. You thirsty? Zero asked. No, said Stanley. Because you have three full jars of water, said Zero. I thought maybe it was getting too heavy for you. If you drink some, it'll lighten your load. I'm not thirsty, said Stanley. But if you want a drink, I'll give you some. I'm not thirsty, said Zero. I was just worried about you. Stanley smiled. I'm a camel, he said. They walked for what seemed like a very long time and still never came across the Mary Lou. 
Stanley was pretty sure they were heading in the right direction. He remembered that when they left the boat, they were headed towards the setting sun. Now they were heading towards the rising sun. He knew the sun didn't rise and set exactly in the east and west, more southeast and southwest, but he wasn't quite sure how that made a difference. His throat felt as if it was coated with sandpaper. You sure you're not hungry? he asked. Not me, said Zero. His voice was dry and raspy. When they did finally decide to take a drink, they agreed to do it at the same time. Zero, who was now carrying the sack, set it down and took out two jars, giving one to Stanley. They decided to save the canteen for last, since it couldn't accidentally break. You know I'm not thirsty, Stanley said as he unscrewed the lid. I'm just drinking so you will. I'm just drinking so you will, said Zero. They clinked the jars together, and each watching the other, poured the water into their stubborn mouths. Zero was the first to spot the Mary Lou, maybe a quarter mile away, and just a little off to the right. They headed for it. It wasn't even noon yet when they reached the boat. They sat against the shady side and rested. I don't know what happened to my mother, Zero said. She left and never came back. Stanley peeled an onion. She couldn't always take me with her, Zero said. Sometimes she had to do things by herself. Stanley had the feeling that Zero was explaining things to himself. She'd tell me to wait in a certain place for her. When I was real little, I had to wait in small areas, like on a porch step or a doorway. Now don't leave here until I get back, she'd say. I never liked it when she left. I had a stuffed animal a little draft, and I'd hug it the whole time she was gone. When I got bigger, I was allowed to stay in bigger areas. Like, stay on this block, or don't leave the park. But even then, I still held Jaffe. Stanley guessed that Jaffe was the name of Zero's giraffe. And then one day, she didn't come back, Zero said. His voice sounded suddenly hollow. I waited for her at Laney Park. Laney Park, says Stanley. I've been there. You know the playscape? Asked Zero. Yeah, I've played on it. I waited there for more than a month, says Zero. You know that tunnel that you crawl through? Between the slide and the swinging bridge? That's where I slept. They ate four onions apiece and drank about a half a jar of water. Stanley stood up and looked around. Everything looked the same in all directions. When I left camp, I was headed straight towards Big Thumb, he said. I saw the boat off to the right, so that means we have to turn a little to the left. Zero was lost in thought. What? Okay, he said. They headed out. It was Stanley's turn to carry the sack. Some kids had a birthday party, Zero said. I guess it was about two weeks after my mother left. There was a picnic table next to the playscape, and balloons were tied to it. The kids looked to be the same age as me. One girl said hi to me and asked me if I wanted to play. I wanted to, but I didn't. I knew I didn't belong at the party, even though it wasn't their playscape. There was this one mother who kept staring at me like I was some kind of monster. Then later, a boy asked me if I wanted a piece of cake. But then that same mother told me, Go away! And she told all the kids to stay away from me. So I never got the piece of cake. I ran away so fast, I forgot Jaffe. Did you ever find him? It? For a moment... Zero didn't answer. Then he said, He wasn't real. Stanley thought again about his own parents. How awful it would be for them to never know if he was dead or alive. He realized that was how Zero must have felt. 
not knowing what happened to his own mother. He wondered why Zero never mentioned his father. Hold on, Zero said, stopping abruptly. We're going the wrong way. No, this is right, said Stanley. You were heading towards Big Thumb when you saw the boat off to your right, said Zero. That means we should have turned right when we left the boat. You sure? Zero drew a diagram in the dirt. Stanley still wasn't sure. We need to go this way, Zero said, first drawing a line on the map and then heading that way himself. Stanley followed. It didn't feel right to him, but Zero seemed sure. Sometime in the middle of the afternoon, a cloud drifted across the sky and blocked out the sun. It was a welcome relief. Once again, Stanley felt the destiny was on his side. Zero stopped and held his arm out to stop Stanley, too. Listen, Zero whispered. Stanley didn't hear anything. They continued walking very quietly, and Stanley began to make out the faint sounds of Camp Green Lake. They were still too far away to see the camp, but he could hear a blend of indistinct voices. As they got closer, he occasionally could hear Mr. Sir's distinctive bark. They walked slowly and quietly, aware that sounds traveled in both directions. They approached a cluster of holes. Let's wait here until they go in, said Zero. Stanley nodded. He checked to make sure there was nothing living in it, then climbed down into a hole. Zero climbed down into the one next to him. Despite having gone the wrong way for a while, it hadn't taken them nearly as long as Stanley had expected. Now, they just had to wait. The sun cut through the cloud, and Stanley felt its rays beating down on him. But soon, more clouds filled the sky, shading Stanley in his hole. He waited until he was certain the last of the campers had finished for the day. Then, he waited a little longer. As quietly as possible, he and Zero climbed up out of their holes and crept towards camp. Stanley held the sack in front of him, cradled in his arms instead of over his shoulder, to keep the jars from clanking against each other. A wave of terror rushed over him when he saw the compound, the tents, the rec room, the warden's cabin under the two oak trees. The fear made him dizzy. He took a breath, summoned his courage, and continued. That's the one, he whispered, pointing out the hole where he had found the gold tube. It was still about 50 yards away, but Stanley was pretty sure it was the right hole. There was no need to risk going any closer. They climbed down into adjacent holes and waited for the camp to fall asleep. Chapter 44 Stanley tried to sleep, not knowing when he'd get the chance again. He heard the showers, and later, the sounds of dinner. He heard the creaking of the rec room door. His fingers drummed against the side of the hole. He heard his own heartbeat. He took a drink from the canteen. He had given zero to water jars. They each had a good supply of onions. He wasn't sure how long he remained in the hole. Maybe five hours. He was surprised when he heard zero whispering for him to wake up. He didn't think he had fallen asleep. If he had... He thought it must have been just for the last five minutes. Although, when he opened his eyes, he was surprised how dark it was. There was only one light on at camp, in the office. The sky was cloudy, so there was very little starlight. Stanley could see a sliver of a moon, which appeared and disappeared among the clouds. He carefully led Zero to the hole, which was hard to find in the darkness. He stumbled over a small pile of dirt. I think this is it, he whispered. You think? Zero asked. It's it, said Stanley, sounding more certain than he really was. He climbed down. Zero handed him the shovel. Stanley stuck the shovel into the dirt at the bottom of the hole and stepped on the back of the blade. He felt it sink beneath his weight. He scooped out some dirt and tossed it off to the side. Then he brought the shovel back down. Zero watched for a while. 
I'm going to try to refill the water jars, he said. Stanley took a deep breath and exhaled. Be careful, he said, then continued digging. It was so dark, he couldn't even see the end of his shovel. For all he knew, he could be digging up golden diamonds instead of dirt. He brought each shovelful close to his face to try to see if anything was there before dumping it out of the hole. As he made the hole deeper, it became harder to lift the dirt up and out. It was five feet deep before he even started. He decided to use his efforts to make it wider instead. This made more sense, he told himself. If Kate Barlow had buried a treasure chest, she probably wouldn't have been able to dig much deeper. So why should he? Of course, Kate Barlow probably had a whole gang of thieves helping her. You want some breakfast? Stanley jumped at the sound of Zero's voice. He hadn't heard him approach. Zero handed down a box of cereal. Stanley carefully poured some cereal into his mouth. He didn't want to put his dirty hands inside of the box. He nearly gagged on the ultra-sweet taste. They were sugar-frosted flakes, and after eating nothing but onions for more than a week, he had trouble adjusting to the flavor. He washed them down with a swig of water. Zero took over the digging. Stanley sifted his fingers through the fresh piles of dirt, in case he missed anything. He wished he had a flashlight. A diamond no bigger than a pebble would be worth thousands of dollars. Yet there was no way he'd see it. They finished the water that Zero had gotten from the spigots by the shower. Stanley said he'd go fill the jars again, but Zero insisted that he go do it instead. No offense, but you make too much noise when you walk. You're too big. Stanley returned to the hole. As the hole grew wider, parts of the surface kept caving in. They were running out of room. To make it much wider, they would first have to move some of the surrounding dirt piles out the way. He wondered how much time they had before the camp woke up. How's it going? Zero asked when he returned with the water. Stanley shrugged one shoulder. He brought the shovel down the side of the hole, shaving off a slice of the dirt wall. As he did so, he felt the shovel bounce off something hard. What was that? Zero asked. Stanley didn't know. He moved the shovel up and down the side of the hole. As the dirt chipped and flaked away, the hard object became more pronounced. It was sticking out of the side of the hole, about a foot and a half from the bottom. He felt it with his hands. What is it? Zero asked. He could just fill a corner of it. Most of it was still buried. It had the cool, smooth texture of metal. I think I might have found the treasure chest, he said. His voice was filled more with astonishment than with excitement. Really? asked Zero. I think so, Stanley said. The hole was wide enough for him to hold the shovel lengthwise and dig sideways into the wall. He knew he had to dig very carefully. He didn't want the side of the hole to collapse, along with the huge pile of dirt directly above it. He scraped the dirt wall until he exposed one entire side of the box-like object. He ran his fingers over it. It felt to be about eight inches tall and almost two feet wide. He had no way of knowing how far into the earth it extended. He tried pulling it out, but it wouldn't budge. He was afraid that the only way to get to it was to start back up at the surface and dig down. But they didn't have time for that. I'm going to try and dig a hole underneath it, he said. Then maybe I can pull it down and slip it out. Go for it, said Zero. Stanley jammed the shovel into the bottom edge of his hole and carefully began to dig a tunnel underneath the metal object. He hoped it didn't cave in. Occasionally, he'd stop, stoop down, and try to fill the far end of the box. But even when the tunnel was as long as his arm he still couldn't feel the other side. Once again, he tried pulling it out, but it was firmly in the ground. If he pulled too hard, he feared he'd cause a cave-in. He knew that when he was ready to pull it out, he would have to do it quickly before the ground above it collapsed. As his tunnel grew deeper and wider and more precarious, 
Stanley was able to feel latched on one end of the box and then a leather handle. It wasn't really a box. I think it might be some kind of metal suitcase, he told Zero. Can you pry it loose with the shovel? Zero suggested. I'm afraid the side of the hole will collapse. You might as well give it a try, said Zero. Stanley took a sip of water. Might as well, he said. He forced the tip of the shovel between the dirt and top of the metal case and tried to wedge it free. He wished he could see what he was doing. He worked the end of the shovel, back and forth, up and down, until he felt the suitcase fall free. Then he felt the dirt come piling down on top of it. But it wasn't a huge cave-in. As he knelt down the hole, he could tell that only a small portion of the earth had collapsed. He dug with his hands until he found a leather handle, and then he pulled the suitcase up and out of the dirt. I got it! he exclaimed. It was heavy. He handed it up to Zero. You did it, Zero said, taking it from him. We did it, said Stanley. He gathered his remaining strength and tried to pull himself up out the hole. Suddenly, a bright light was shining in his face. Thank you, said the warden. You boys have been a great help. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Uh, you can leave a review on Podchaser, then you can go ahead and copy and paste that on the Apple Podcast. Then you can copy and paste that onto Good Pods. Uh, you can leave a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Um, at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at good pods uh, on our tip jar. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm Hodge Letter. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,